In this episode, I welcome Hollywood director Frank Karachi to my house. He's directed The Wedding Singer, Waterboy, and a bunch of other classic comedies. We talk about how he got into directing, how much he likes to travel, and what he has in the works. He's a very cool guy, and it is a great interview. In the neighborhood, of course, I'm joined by Mel and Steve. We talk about the beer I just brewed, kind of. The brewery tour I have coming up, which is December 16th through the 20th. Uh, how you can be a part of the adventure and how you can have a beer with me. It's all here on the Zane Lamprey Show. Adventure. We make innovative apparel. Our jackets all convert into travel pillows. Our backpacks have coolers in them. Visit adventure.com and get 10% off with coupon code PODCAST10. Adventure, where the first E is a three because we plant three trees with every product sold. That's ADV3NTURE.com. Travel. Explore, live, adventure.com. Welcome to a very holiday episode of the Zane Lamprey Show. I am Zane Lamprey, joined by my wife Mel and then Steve in Philly. Our guest today is Frank Karachi. Frank Karachi. He's a director. He's directed a lot of things that you've seen. Uh, The Wedding Singer, Mm -hmm. The Water Boy, Around the World in 80 Days. Here comes the boom, click. Um, and so he he has a new uh, movie, which we'll be talking about. Um, uh, yeah, Frank is a really cool guy. It's it's so, you know, it's great to just meet uh, someone who is a very successful Hollywood director, producer, actor, you know, people that are just like very successful and can be, could be douchey. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm giving him the credit that he, he could have, he could have been there if he wanted to, but he wasn't. Very nice, very humble, just a super cool guy. You don't realize you're sitting with someone who could, you know, can change people's careers. It's mm-hmm. it's it's fun. I, th- I thought he was a really cool guy. What, Steve? I said, did he inspire you? He did. He inspired mm-hmm. me. How? How so? Well, he, he inspired me to c- cut That's you out great. of the show. I can't wait to hey, hear Hey, I was thinking, <laughs> since you said this was like a very special Christmas episode, yeah. is it like you're going to give me a gift or something? Or well, like- ho, ho, ho. I did get you. I did give you a gift. I did give you a gift. So, so so I, I am, I was yesterday, I was at Santa Rosa. um, I was at fog belt brewing in Santa Rosa for the launch of the adventure fog belt collaboration beer called Redwood lager, which is uh, a red lager infused with um, redwood tips, just the tips, just the tips. Mm. And uh, so I was up there and I was supposed to come back this morning recording this on a Sunday. I was supposed to, uh, I was supposed to come back here uh, today just in time to record this podcast because I leave first thing tomorrow. And instead, I just got on the first flight out of there last night and then uh, surprised Mel. And I said, hey, Mel, I got you something. It's on the front porch. I hope you like it. And she opened the door. And what was there? Not cake. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was going to have Susie cakes delivered to me. It's true. It's true. Because he's done that before. And so I was like, at the end of the night, I finally sat down. And he was like, I left something on the porch. And he thought it was a brownie. And I was like, oh, it's definitely okay. tropical cake from Susie Cakes. Do you want to be a tough guy and tell people what what happened? But then I, it was him, and I cried because it wasn't cake. <laughs> <laughs> Here I was. She was crying because she was so emotional. No, she was crying because it wasn't cake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, dude, we went up. We went up to the. Um, so I had my buddy Jake join me yesterday, um, the other day at uh, at Fog Belt, and I got in on on uh on thursday thursday mm-hmm. because i had a radio show to do that night mm-hmm. then went back to the hotel did work woke up the next morning to go in and brew 
because we wanted to get video of us brewing the beer, but the catch is, is like, it's a lager. So it had to sit there for a while. And so we brewed the, they brewed the beer like last week. Uh, I'm sorry, last month, like a month ago. And um, so they wanted to have me come up and we, we can just get some video of you making the beer. So I went in and went there in the morning and we're just mm-hmm. like, and we started drinking their Imperial uh, coffee stout. Mm. Whenever you put the word imperial yeah, it's and like beer, majestic or serious. No, it's like double. Exactly. It's, it's, yeah, ex- exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And so imperial percentage. It was a it was a nine percent uh, uh, ABV. That's one way to start the morning. It was, and I didn't realize that. So I had like two or three. That, like, that is legit. That dictates your whole day. So then we 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 like the beer that they had us make. You know what I did? I took this thing of hop pellets and just dumped it in. Mm-hmm. That's all I could do. And I was like, you know, next time, if there's next time, I can just pretend to do this. I don't need to come <laughs> in at seven in the morning to like pour these hot pellets at exactly seven twenty six. And so, you get to sprinkle any breadwood tips in there? Yeah, no, because it wasn't that beer. We were making another beer. Ah. So then we said, all right, let's go to Armstrong Woods, which is like a, a state park, and let's go and like take the tips of some of these redwoods. So a giant redwood tree has like these little ones growing next to it, yeah. off of it, mm-hmm. and you just take the tip. I mean, it's just like the the end inch. Inches? Oh, inch? No, like inch. It's tiny, tiny. Okay. because that has all of the sort of the resin and the flavor and that kind of thing. So we, you know, I ate some of it to mm-hmm. understand what it was. It's kind of like the super bitter. It was kind of like the bitterness of a hops. No, but, but but listen, we brought some of the beer up and they grabbed some other beer and we were walking around the park. As far as I know, you're allowed to drink in state parks, walking around, most of them. Hmm. And so we're walking around with beer. Like in like a can of beer out in the open? Can of beer out in the open, these tall boy cans. Um, I guess there's 16 ounces. And walking through, and the it's foggy, light rain, walking Sounds on a path. Beautiful. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then we were just laughing, having a good time, and and we were we, we only brought one can each of the Redwood Lager, which is a 5.4%, which mm-hmm. is still good, but just like more manageable. Mm-hmm. And they had some of their um, their IPA, which was like 8.6, and we're drinking those. Oh, so geez. anyway, we found a bridge, which was just, I sent you a picture from this bridge. And we just st- stood there on a bridge for an hour just <laughs> drinking beers. It was <laughs> amazing. Then we went to a place called Stumptown, which is another brewery. And then we went to another brewery after that. And it was like seven o'clock and I had been up working mm-hmm. slash drinking since seven and then, mm. and then passed out. And so the next day was like the event. Mm-hmm. And then like, how much did I feel like going to an event? Like I already had my event a, the day before. Did you have a hangover? Uh, you know, not too much. Cause it was just such a long day. But um, anyway, it just took me one beer to get back into it, but then hung out from about one until five and then got on a flight at six fifty and came back here. With so no cake. With no cake. <laughs> But what did I come back with? So they gave oh my god, so much beer. They gave me like beer, ninety pounds of beer. Literally, Steve, I I brought a a shell suitcase, you know, like a hard suitcase, right. and I put my rolly inside of it to go up there and to come back. I took the rolly out, and now I have a giant suitcase, and we filled it with beer. And I went to to check in, and we put it on the the, the scale. And it was 90 pounds, 90 <laughs> you have to take some out and disperse the load. So what I did, I said, I just save, I dispersed my load. <laughs> Thanks buddy. Um, and it wasn't that exciting. And then, so yeah, so I took and just put clothes in the other one and started putting beer into my rolly and I got it split in such a way that, cause I did have beer in the rolly too. And, uh, and beer so anyway, everywhere. I gave the people at the counter each a four pack. 
to sort of look the other way. Uh-huh. And I still come, came back with about 90, you know, 80 pounds of beer. So. Beer Santa at the so, airport. What do you yeah. gonna, I mean, what are you going to do with all, all this? We're going to, like, let our guests drink it, uh, give it to friends, and, you know, have just really different pretty. events. It's really pretty. It's really pretty. Yeah, it's a beautiful beer. It. And so I beautiful. have to tell you, it is it is so balanced. I, w- I was a little worried. Now, these guys make really good beer, and, and I've been there before and had their beers. And I was a little nervous because it's not like, like, it's a long, it's a, the lagering process is very long. So you don't know if the beer is going to be any good and you don't know until the end. So you have to follow formulas that you've done in the past and be like, oh, when we did this, we had to pull back this a little bit and whatever. So they were, when they went light on the, uh, on the tips, but then they put in a little bit of, yeah, they put in a little bit of juniper berry as well. And you, so like some tips and berries? Tips and berries, yeah, okay. tips and bowls. And so um, botanical. it was very botanical. But it was, but it just made a really nice beer. It's, you don't drink it. If you didn't know that it was pine, you wouldn't know. If you ha- When you have your first sip, it takes like five seconds and then the pine hits you. Hmm. It's neat. It's really cool. You get like an essence. You get a hint. You get a hint of it. Uh, and so tomorrow I'm heading off to uh, an- another brewery tour. If you remember last... Uh, I guess in October I did like 21 breweries in, in 21. You remember? Yeah, it was November what, too, I think. And then into November, yeah. yeah. 21 breweries in 20, 21 days. And so now I'm going to uh, Salt Lake City Monday, uh, December 16th, and then Denver on Tuesday, then Austin on Wednesday, Phoenix on Thursday, and then Friday the 20th uh, I'll be in Vegas at uh, Bagger fun. Brewing. Yeah, and then and then uh, I'm joined by um, Jack Not Maxwell. Not by me because you never tell me these things. Because you have to watch the cats. I know, but if you would give me notice, Steve, I've had so many people reach out being like, "You're going to be there, right? I can't wait to meet you." And I'm like, "Dude, the minute Zane posted this stuff is the minute I found out about it." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh well, I just didn't think about it." And I'm like, "Dude, I just picked up another cat today. Like, I can't go anywhere." And I'm like, "I know." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I got Wait, st- I got stuff to do. But we were talking about how to slow down on the cats. How uh, well? How um, that is not very Christmassy. It's Steve. it's a good relationship when I know that I can do what I need to do and I just go and do it. You know, and Mel's fine and whatever. I'll be back in a few days. But I came back early and surprised her on this one. So, um, well, and it's and, not like that all the time. You guys are together a lot at home. But, that's true. You, know, you got to travel. You got to work. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, the reason that we're going on this brewery tour is because uh, investing in adventure is over on December 20th. That's the last day that you can do it. Our SEC raise will close. Um, if you want want to invest, do it. Get involved in adventure. You can own a piece of the company with me. Uh, Mel is an owner. Steve is an owner. Um, the minimum investment is $250. And if you want to get it as a gift for someone, we can help you transfer it to a family member. And I don't know how far family member goes, but I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, well, like, let's say your sister's uh, husband, he's a family member. What about your sister's husband's sister? But how do I prove that? You know what I'm saying? But I think they're you, letting you, you transfer I'm, it to whomever you want as a gift. Yes, but technically it's a family member. Mm. I'm just saying. It, I think we're. I think we're all hearing what I'm trying to say here. So anyway, yeah, go I'm to. Uh, down. You can go to investwithzane.com. Investwithzane.com will take you there, or just go to adventure a d v three n t u r e. One of the slides there will tell you how to get to uh, to the start engine page, and then um, you know we have over 800 investors, and um, it's just been amazing so far we've done a lot of great hirings and in the new year 
I'll have the adventure team on and introduce everybody. Um, some quick little stories. This bank in Texas accidentally deposited $37 million into a woman's account. And she went there and saw it. And then the husband reached out to the bank and was like, what's going on? $37 million. So the question is, the question is, is there a way she could have like transferred that to a Swiss bank account and bolted and then she's gone? And if she did, would she really be in the wrong? And and there and there's sort of like mixed mixed bag so on that. because of the like the delay on transfers, especially wire transfers yeah. and stuff. They yeah. have like that three to five day window to do that for some. So it would have been caught at some you know before that it. went through. What yeah. I want to know is, I mean, is the IRS going to get wind of that and be like, uh, I mean, it was it, it, it was in and out. The it, it was in and out. Just the tips. Uh, it was in and out, and and they, and they knew, and the bank caught it pretty quick. I mean, it. Obviously, it was supposed to be deposited into someone's account. They didn't see it, and they said, where is it? So I guess they had inverted the numbers or something like that. Um, hey, Steve, have you ever had a um, a package stolen from your house? Any of your houses you've ever lived in? Like a, like a, mm, like a, definitely a couple times. We've had people that we've sent, uh, you know, adventure packages. They sent us, like, the actual video of people walking up and taking the package and walking away. Was it their uh, friend? That's no, so no, no, no. It was like just weird people that just mm-hmm. walking by. I mean, there's, I don't want to say like, it's, it's like a business, but like people, I mean, maybe people were treating it like that. And so this woman had like, um, in Colorado had like so many packages stolen, like every single night. So, uh, she actually was like, had a bunch of boxes, you know, like in Amazon prime, you always have these empty boxes. So she ran out of trash bags. I think it was like Thanksgiving or something after a party. And so she just put all the garbage in there mm-hmm. and then put it out on the porch and she was going to take care of it the next morning. And she woke up and it was gone. <laughs> so someone had taken it. And so they stole her garbage. Yeah, exactly. You know, unfortunately what it's going to come down to is you're going to have to have like this huge box on your front porch or the side of your house. So when the truck comes up, the big door opens and the, your package goes in there and, you know, like a Dropbox at the post office. Like a shed or something. I, I, I don't know. It's only become a problem. It's obviously escalating because more and more things are being delivered to your house. You used to go and do Target runs and, you know, the drugstore and now the grocery store. And all that, all that stuff is just brought to your to your house, especially during the holidays. Um, it, it brought up a Reddit thread and people were telling stories that, that they've done this before. So one guy, one guy pooped in the box. <laughs> it was taken. <laughs> I mean, I guess the thing is, is like, can't you put, we put all our cat crap in a box? Do it. Well, no one takes anything here. Oh, that's not- but, but if you, um, honestly, do you want to incite a thief at all? I mean, do you, you, what do you mean? You mean, you mean, like you mean piss him, him off? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, do you want him to come and get a box of shit and then like what? note your house and then come back and yeah. retaliate. are you what are you not so are, we're now afraid of the people that are attacking us we we can't yes. we can't attack them back yeah. fuck them right. fuck them i think <laughs> no, i mean there's no i don't want to upset them and be like tell all their thief friends like hey we're gonna that chick gave me cat poop the other day how about so this how, how about this exploding those you know those exploding paint paint things yeah those exploding ink from the banks mm-hmm. you should be able to use those and I don't know what the legality of it is, but if I have that on my porch and someone comes up and takes it and opens it up and that explodes in their face, that's awesome. That's what I would well, do. Well, honestly, something's got to change. Think mm-hmm. about the billions of boxes that are delivered. Yeah, but it's the billions of dollars that, that, that Amazon makes. All right, one more story. This, this child prodigy from Belgium is the youngest to gain a bachelor degree. How old is he? So he's, he's studying electrical engineering. Um, 
and which is one of the toughest courses at this university in Belgium. So how old is this kid? Who's I'm gonna guess twelve. Okay, twelve. Nine. The under. He's nine years old. You guys see a picture of this kid. It is the cutest boy you've ever seen. And he's graduating at nine. And they said that the interesting thing about him is that he's just as sympathetic as he is um, intelligent. Like he's like he's he's like an old soul. Mm -hmm. And they asked his parents, like, what do you think it was? And she's like, the only thing I did was I ate a lot of fish when I was pregnant. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Which, I, which, by the way, I think they tell you not to do because of the mercury. Right. I don't know what but kind maybe, of fish maybe it was. Maybe not but. in Belgium. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, Tony Stark. I mean, what's going on? That's crazy. Uh, all right, so let's go to uh, our interview with Frank Karachi. Uh, super cool guy. This is our interview with Frank. You're the guest with the best on the Zane Lapper Show. So, um, yeah, so we're rolling. So, Frank. How you doing? Pleasure to have you here. <laughs> I just finished um, Hot Air, your new, your new movie. Thank you. Um, what was really interesting about it is... I, you'd send me the link and I started watching it and I'm in my office and I'm constantly being distracted. And so I actually watched it over the course of like multiple days, which was really the interesting. Filmmaker's worst nightmare. Well, honestly, it, it, no, it, 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 I liked it because it reminded me of like, of the relationship that I have with like a book because I was able to like come back into it and it's like if you watch a movie it's over and uh what was that like hour 30 hour four hour, hour 40, 40 yeah, yeah. yeah and so like um it's like otherwise i just it's like it's a piece of my day and it's gone but i got to watch it over the course of multiple days which i thought was nice it's like usually I, I can understand why you want people to be like in it and sort of watch it through but it was i got to like be with the characters for a few days, and I liked it. I, I, like, I liked it. If you associate with reading a book, I take that as a high compliment. Okay, good. good. <laughs> so, so this was with uh, with with Steve Coogan, Steve Coogan, who you've worked with before. I did Around the World in eighty days. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, did he do his Michael Caine impression for you? He's done that many times. Okay, I good. know him for like fifteen years, <laughs> okay. so uh, I, I, he's done it too many times for me. Okay, <laughs> I figured. And then I've seen him do it on every talk show. But he, yeah. he, he, well, he he's is, good. He you know? is great yeah. at, 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 at that's that great comedian thing where, yeah. and that's what makes them great actors is that if you can imitate something, you could become something. And by the way, this is the first time—not the first time—but Steve, I think uh, his American accent was impeccable. I, that's what I want to ask you about. It's like. In order to like, it's enough work to to jump into a different accent, but then to be able to jump in with all the the, the nuances of the character, it, he he was he did a really good job. He did an outstanding job, and his performance is riveting because he plays a very unlikable guy yeah. who, by the end, you find a, he he brought a real nuance and balance to the character, and yeah. you, you kind of like him and respect him. If anything, you respect him for sure. Um, but I was worried. Um, because um, Steve had done American accent a few times, and probably as a joke. But because as a comedian, yeah, so yeah. he would do it really nasally. Yeah. And the thing about Steve, <laughs> I right. I knew him from his radio. Um, I mean, his um, great TV show, Alan Partridge, in in made him famous mm -hmm. in the UK. Uh, he plays a, a a radio talk show host, so he had that got it deep FM thing. And I yeah. was like, listen, all right, I'm gonna write it British for you. And he's like, no, 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 I'll do the right, I'll do the American accent. And I was like, all right. How would you, you how would you even do a British? I mean, he was he's such an American blue blood guy in that thing. 
Yeah, we were. We were, I was. Uh, be a lot so of work. I'm glad we yeah, did. Right. Yeah. There would be a lot of rewriting. Yeah. But uh, you know, and it's funny because a lot of the more liberal guys are British, and they get to rag on the country. Right. 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 <laughs> That's a good point. That's a great. They get point. away with it because liberal people That's are like, ah, really it's okay, fun. they get rag on the country. Where the right wing guys, it's harder for them to have a British accent because you're like, yeah. who, who's this limey making fun of our country? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the good news is he embraced it, and one of the things he did is he made sure he kept that deep baritone. FM voice yeah. of authority, and he the whole time, yeah. yeah. And so he's basically uh, a a right wing uh, uh, radio shock uh, jock, co- yeah, shock jock, exactly. Mm-hmm. But sort of, I would say like Sean Hannity meets uh, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, there's Is a that little of right? that, and 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 but but honestly, he, but a little bit. <sighs> He, I want to say he's classier, but is that because I know that he's British? I don't know. No, no. The thing that we wanted to do is I wanted – look, the, the big thing about this movie is I didn't want to take sides because I thought the best way for this movie to be effective yeah. is to just let's watch the two sides go at each other in mm-hmm. a way, not be biased. We made some people on the left really bad guys, and we made – everybody's kind of yeah. balanced out yeah. um, pretty well. So one of the things I wanted to make sure is that he was an intelligent uh, right-wing guy. And when I say intelligent, he believed that there is climate change. Mm-hmm. But his answer was, yeah, I live in a, in a, in a high-rise. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so right. I, I, I didn't want him to be, you know, he's not a creationist. He's, yeah. he, he was more of a, a, a realistic right-wing kind of guy that you can actually buy his argument. Yeah. Like, it, it, he was less, I tried to avoid him being racist, but he was more against people coming across the border for for logical reasons yeah, that, yeah. That, that but you could, could feel you could feel that he knew that he had an audience to speak to he definitely knew he had yeah. an audience to speak to just the way all these people know how to push the right button yeah. get the laughs yeah. uh you know and just get the conversation going and create their own little echo chamber yeah yeah right but i so i wanted to talk about um uh the process of like of how this movie started was it brought to you? Okay, so let me go back to why I wanted to make a movie like this okay. and then how it came to me. Sure. So all those times at uh, the holidays when you're sitting around the table, those political discussions that you have with your family and yeah. some are right, some are left. Yeah. They used to be like a little bit of a talk for an hour and we get a little heated and then we'd all forget about it and yep. love each other and everything was great. I felt like sometime after 9-11, I started seeing people just get a little so heated that they'd leave the dinner table. Yeah. And and I'd also started noticing close friends of mine suddenly saying things that I didn't think they really believed because it started to become this polarization. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was like, you know, taxes should be low and da da da, suddenly they started listing things like guns should be legal for everyone and there shouldn't be gun control. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, you don't really think that. And so I started to notice. There was this weird um, thing where we were just getting super polarized. Like, like it, it, you, you had to pick a side. You had to pick a side, uh-huh. and 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 I'm like one of these people that like I always I, I'm an independent, and I always think I will, I'll pick from whatever side I want, and, yeah. and, and that's the way we all should be. And I think yeah. most people land somewhere in the middle, and yeah. that's most. And by the way, now independent is like its own party. So you're like, wait, <laughs> no, no, I'm the anti-party party. No, but you're still a party. No, that's not how that worked out. Yeah. And that, so I just saw this, and I realized the internet was, I love technology, but the internet created this place where you could just ramble on, hear yourself, and not you listen to the other side. Right, and right, there's all these right, arguments right. that Oh, it's so easy to, to, like, to, yeah, to... 
to to trap yourself in to only hear the stuff that you want to hear kind of yeah yeah yeah. i'm gonna lewis ck a comedian that always made me laugh Mm -hmm. and and, uh he had this whole thing with his kids that um he didn't want to give them social media and phones because he goes what's a normal thing for a kid to do you bully another kid you push the kid down you punch him and what what happens the kid cries and you see the kid and you feel bad and you form empathy yeah and what's happening on online it's a good example is that you're not forming this empathy. Mm-hmm. You're just yelling and you're not seeing the other person's reaction and it's, mm-hmm. they're not human. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some critics like rip me apart and I write back like, well, this is what I intended. And literally they wrote, I forgot directors were human beings. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I saw this divide <laughs> happening and I just was saying, I really want to make a movie that I, I want as a filmmaker, I want to do something. I made all these fun movies and they all have nice themes. And I really felt like this is the thing we need to fix. Yeah. And um, I put it out there and, um, my manager, um, just randomly sent me this script, not knowing that's what I was thinking. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I read it my producing partner, Amy Keene, who's produced a bunch of my movies. She read it and goes, did you see the script that's on your desk? Cause I never read cause I hate reading. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I have to read them when she says they're good. And yeah, I was right. like, Oh my God, this is otherwise exactly... you'd be reading scripts all day long. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, basically there's so many bad ones. That's yeah. what it is. Right. Um, I read the script and I thought, Oh, this is amazing because it doesn't really take sides and it's a personal little story. So I could probably get the money to make this little movie, but it was really effective. Um, And then I talked to the writer and this is what really sunk me. Um, His name is Will Reichel. He's a nice guy from Brooklyn, a family of uh, two kids. And he said, well, I was, my wife was pregnant with my first daughter. I was in the car and I was listening to Rush Limbaugh and I thought, how is this little girl going to grow up in this world where this guy's right. like sexist, you know, mm-hmm. spewing out this stuff? And that's what inspired him. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool start to a story. And and I like that it it's it's kind of unbiased, though. And 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 it's a, a, almost a female empowerment. A 16 year old mm-hmm. girl gets yeah. to kind of go head to head with with Lionel McComb, uh, yeah. uh, Coogan's character. And she's kind of from the same you know, family. So she's as smart and as intelligent as him. So they go do battle and it's great because sparks fly and they say some really interesting stuff. And I thought this is a great way to tell a story. And that might, I wanted it to be a Thanksgiving movie because I thought if this is the movie going on Thanksgiving, you come home and maybe you don't have that big political fight. Right. Maybe you listen to right. each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're absolutely right. The way that the information was sort of conveyed, it didn't. It wasn't as polarizing. Neither side was. You kind of just felt like you were watching the person and the relationship. I thought it was good. It had heart. I I I, I enjoyed it. Um. All right. So let's. Uh, it's it's so interesting. Like I I I knew who you were from the projects that you had done, and then I then I like start like looking you up and reading some of your Twitter, your Instagram, seeing some of the stuff that you've done, and it's like it's pretty fascinating. Oh, cool. So, so I want <laughs> I, I want to go back in time. We're going back. Ba- ba- we're going back. We're going back. Way back. Blurry thing. <laughs> yeah. And so you are at you're at Tisch, and uh, NYU, um, and that's where you met Sandler. I met Adam. Yeah, freshman year. Yeah. And so. Um, is it, when you came out to to do the um the 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 travel docs like when you when you started doing those was that right after after that I mean right after film school I was a PA okay 
because I needed money. I want to have this romantic idea of you and Sandler, you meet, and you guys go make something. But uh, that, no, we go, we're going to do this. Yeah. Someday we're going to make movies yeah, and we're yeah. going to be the greatest. I'll call you in 20. And uh, and, uh, and uh, within eight years, yeah. we were oh, doing right. it. So yeah. that was pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at some point we were making our first thing and we're like, hey, there's there's no adults here. Right. We're like, oh no, we're the adults. Yeah, right. But it's only right. been eight years yeah, since right. college. Yeah, How right. is that possible? Yeah, right. How are they trusting us with millions of dollars? Um, uh, yeah, I did PAing and I worked at an advertising agency. At the time, you know, film equipment. Now you could shoot a movie on an iPhone and edit it. Right. Then you needed to get equipment. It's when you get out of film school and you're like, I'm a director. And then you're like, shit, I don't get to direct unless I go back to school. Is that what your degree was in, directing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I That's had a awesome. minor in business because my dad's from a real estate background. He paid for my college. Mm, that's smart. And I said, let me let me do that to keep you happy. You got a business and directing degree? Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's good. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah, I think it's so. Like, it's like, I don't it, know. It seems like every, <laughs> shouldn't every director have those things? You know what I mean? Like, it's nice. I, I guess so. But it's it, working but, for me, apparently. But it's the, it's the, it's, it's two sides of the brain. I mean, to ha- to be the artist and the business guy. I have a very analytical brain, though. Okay. I have a very like, I'm a very mathy kind of person, mm-hmm. um, and it, which really filmmaking is technical, mm-hmm. and and I think I have this spatial thing. Like, I can read a script and I, I can visualize the camera mm-hmm. i feel like it's connected to the analytical mm-hmm. i understand lenses too but then and, i have this very soft but see that's cry, but, yeah, but, i cry a lot well see <laughs> and, uh, I, I do too uh i'm crying right now it's just on the inside but no it's i think it's rare to have those two those two sides to to somebody and 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 it would seem that a, that a director would be someone that would basically be the personification of those of those two sides working well if that makes any sense. Well, uh, hopefully, if, I, if I'm good at what I'm doing, then I think you're, you're right. Good. I think you're good at what you do. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. You're a success story. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so um, when did you start doing these these travel docs? Okay, so uh, I, I, I advertised agency, and then all of a sudden, a couple of my film school buddies did a one-off um, documentary for Globus, uh, okay. which is a travel company. Like a huge one. Really good travel yeah. company. It actually really, I actually really felt good about the product I was selling. Mm-hmm. Very, very uh, affordable and, and high quality for not a lot of money. You get to travel the world mm-hmm. on a bus with really educated people that teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. And they bring you to quality places. So um, my friends did the video, and they did a one-off. And, and the company said, well, we want to do these for all our tours. And I heard this. And 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 so two of the guys stayed on, and they said one was a producer and one was um, camera, right? Sure, yes, <laughs> producer and camera because I did camera too, so I forgot. And they said they need to hire a director. So all of a sudden they put it out to all their other NYU buddies. Right. And when I heard like travel the world, you know, and yeah. film and direct, and I just I always had a travel bug. I, I backpacked the world right before that and i was like traveling to me is one of the most important things you can do i agree um more americans should do it but we live in an isolated place we do yeah the more more you travel the more it opens you up the more creatively the more everything yeah um so i just did everything i could to get that job i I, it was like the best job interview i ever had in my life how old were you at the time 23 or 24 somewhere in there wow um and i nailed the job and i i had to like interview people that were on bus tours photograph them having a good time mm-hmm. and then then we would go off to other cities and film them as well so at 23 and we had the business credit card they'd be like yeah just save receipts and so we get to just travel the world film it and for how for how long i did it for 23 24 when i looked up you did like you did 40 of them mm, i don't think i did that many it feels like i did like 15 okay um 
Probably like four or five years. Okay. I managed to direct like a movie while doing that. Okay, got it. No, we were on full time. So it was suddenly wow. as a filmmaker was like the greatest gig ever because we had a salary, which at the time yeah. seemed like a lot. Yeah, sure. Crazy. And we had like insurance and stuff, stuff that you didn't need. Yeah, right. Like, wow, I'm an adult. I have insurance That's now. That's right. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we got to do this job. And then in between projects, we would be editing for them. Plus, we had all this equipment. We'd constantly be shooting short films and 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 building our reels up. So it was like the ultimate gift for a filmmaker. Oh, my God, that's to amazing. To get to do that. So, yeah, it was amazing. And I got to say, my travels, I've been to places all around the world, like, you know, um, China, Japan, uh, um, all over Canada, all over Europe, um, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji. I mean, it goes on and on. But I remember things like I filmed on the Great Wall of China, mm-hmm. and then eventually I was doing the movie Around the World in 80 Days. Uh, with Jackie Chan. Yeah, and I and Steve Coogan. And Steve Coogan. And, uh, and I was like, I know exactly where to put the camera, because I literally <laughs> oh ran on the wall myself with the camera. So it was great to, to have that background, and that's part of why I wanted that movie Around the World in 80 Days. I'm like, I'm the guy to do this. Oh, that's amazing. I, I have traveled the world. and when, when you were shooting, was it like on a 16 millimeter or? When what, I was what, what the, was the camera when the you video, were shooting? The, 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 the travel documentaries? Yeah. Oh, this is, no, this is super low budget. Okay. I don't know if you remember this format. It was called High 8. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course, of course. <laughs> it was literally us yeah. with like our well, little cameras. Well, that's fine. I just, and, did, yeah, I just didn't yeah, know what they were yeah, shooting. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is the tape was so small that if there was a dropout, it was like a big a big hole in the screen. I, I remember working on that. Yeah, yeah. And And did you edit those as well? I edited those, and I think back to we used to – of our a little travel documentary, we would argue hours over editing. <laughs> over things that no one would ever know. No one, it's like oh these videos that I'm not sure who really yep, saw. Yep. <laughs> we, I, we, we do that stuff all the time, and I'll just be like, the network's waiting for our show, and I'll just make a few changes, and I'll like, okay, now I feel good. And they're like, did you make the changes? They watch the whole thing, and like, yeah, okay. It's, it's, but, you know, it's just, it's just those... That's, yeah. the, that's the artist, I guess. Or we ma- call it like frame fucking. Yeah, you know, right. just <laughs> frame exact, fucking. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and you so have to beep you, that? No, I no. could. I could do it. You can say I go frame beeping. <laughs> frame beeping. <laughs> so, so did you have like equipment, or did you j- like just? Yeah, tripod? we had a mini. We had this first steady cam that was designed. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, we had like like, and then it's funny. We nonlinear editing wasn't it just got invented, and the Avid came out. Right, which meant, you know. Yeah. Because we used to have to, we used to have to edit and then put like, like reel to reel type then, things. No, we had a VHS editing system where we'd write the time code down, and then when you re-edited it, it was a pain in the ass. And so, like an EDL, yeah, EDLs, all that stuff. Oh my god! So then the Avid came out, but they that was expensive. When mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, and because it, it was, it was a, hardware and software. Yeah. yeah, and then they came out with a really cheap version called the D-Vision. Okay. And it looked like a Fisher-Price interface. And, <laughs> and we talked the company into buying that. So we had, like, one of the first nonlinear editing systems in, in our in my East Village apartment. Oh, my God. And I was oh, like, so it was in there? Oh, that's Yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. We worked out of our houses. And, yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was like we are on cutting edge of cheap technology. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, but, I mean, do you, when did, how much do you sleep when you're directing? Not much. Like, what, like, like let's, it, I mean, you're up until... This shit gets done. Yeah, you're shooting like 14 hours a day, let's mm-hmm. say. And by the time you get home, you watch. I still watch dailies. This is like a, a thing that people don't do. Uh, you still da- watch dailies from- Dailies means you watch the footage from the day before. Okay, got it. And When you wake up? No, like you usually do it at the end of the night. Okay, got it. Unless you're shooting nights and you do it in okay, the morning. Okay, so, so, so if today's Friday- then you're watching at the end of the, you shot all day today. You're watching the dailies from the day before from yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Okay. And it's an exercise that's always been done. And you try to bring as much of your crew there, your makeup, your hair, your camera, your, yeah. 
And it A gets you excited about what you did. Um, it B gives me a chance to talk to my editor and tell him what I want. And mm -hmm. I like that take and I get to see it again as opposed to when I'm directing during the day and I'm distracted. So right. It gives you a chance to watch it back a little bit more uh, objectively, I guess. And, and, uh, and, 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 and just form an opinion. And it's a thing that nobody does anymore because it's it used to be you have to have to project it. So they have right. to project it. Now, right. now it's like they give you DVDs and you can watch it at home if you want. And then nobody right. does, but yeah. to me, it's the communal thing, finish shooting, maybe grab a bear pizza, sit with your crew and watch you know, some of the footage and, yeah. and, and it just, you also see it on a big screen and, and, and things look different on a big screen as opposed to when you're directing, you're looking at a monitor. Have so. you ever, ever shot something and been like, that was it? Like, and you didn't need to do it and like not shot a second take. Yeah. It's funny. The very last take uh, 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 in hot air, uh, particularly we had zero, we had, it sounds like not uh, it's my sound. It's three million bucks to mm -hmm. make the movie, but New York City and sure below per the line. Permits the and, below permits the line, plus it was union. Like a yeah, exactly. We had nothing. Yeah. And we were like I had no money and no crew, no nothing. They worked really hard and did a great job. I had to be really decisive, and I'm like, you know what? Decisive is when you know you got it. And it's funny. The very last take of the movie, we did one take, and uh, I'm like, we got it. And then it was like it was a shot that the, movie the car, the scene. What was it? The last shot was him walking in to look in the mirror uh, right before he goes uh, Got it. on to the radio for the uh -huh. last time. And, and, he, and he walks away and he goes, where are you going? And it was just this thing we had to look in the mirror. Yeah. And it, it all had to work perfectly. And and uh, it just did. And I said, you know what? We got it. We got it. That's the you never, you never get I could have never done that on my first movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'd be worried about like, is there something I didn't see? Was it? Are we definitely in focus? Is it like you know? Do you ever? Do you, yeah. Do you usually yeah. just shoot multiples. Because yeah. I, of those by things? the way, I didn't have playback either on that movie. Normally, okay. I have playback. So yeah, yeah. I, I was balls out. I was like, I just, just thought it was some. Some it was the last shot of the movie. I thought that's that's kind of a, where I'm at now. Yeah, I can know I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and and you surrounding yourself with people that you trust. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So with uh, with Sinbad, what do you? What's the stage of right now? We're uh, we're working on the script. We've been uh, location scouting all over the uh, kind of all over Europe, and and uh, I'm about to go to Tunisia and places like that. Um, we're shooting a lot of in Bulgaria because that's where the studio is. It's Millennium. Okay. Who um, uh, is the, the guys that did like the Expendable movies mm -hmm. and Hitman's uh, Bodyguard? They bought this giant old communist studio in Bulgaria. Oh my god! Um, but these people are so talented. Uh, they've been doing it for years and like the seamstresses that make the costumes mm -hmm. and, and the art people. And, 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 and I, I went there to make sure, can we really do this? And I'm like, these people are so rare on the go. And the thing is you end up saving a lot of money cause it's super cheap to live in Bulgaria. Yeah. So, um, uh, this is how millennium has been making movies and I see why they got an amazing team and they're so excited about Sinbags. This will be their biggest movie, uh, to date. So can you, do you know what the budget's going to be? It's going to be in in like the hundred million yeah. kind of category. Yeah, it'll be a little less, but it'll it'll be the equivalent of if we had like one hundred and fifty. If I was in the states, right? Is that is that your would that be your biggest or was it eighty um, days? The biggest budget that I actually had tangible was uh, eighty days. Was okay. like one hundred and ten. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, does it put any more pressure on you? Uh, I mean, it's funny because sometimes you're like, they trust me with one hundred ten million dollars." Yeah. Uh, um, it's just more pressure because. You just, I don't know. My, my thing is, as a filmmaker, you just, 
you'd just be totally prepared. Yeah. And that's what my job is to like know what I want, to do all the work ahead of time, go and win an exact plan, especially with visual effects. Visual effects puts a lot more pressure because you really have to plan. The the less you plan, the more you're gonna go the more spend the money that won't end up on yeah. the screen. So but you pre-visualize stuff and you storyboard it and it's just part of my job. I mean, so so there'll be a, a lot of green screen stuff. Yeah, this particularly this movie will be the most visual effects because he's fighting giant, you mm-hmm. know, mythological creatures that don't exist. And but that's the fun part of this job because I'm sitting there now with with like these artists and going like, this is what the cathandra looks like. It should have a bunch of heads. It should have multicolored skin. It could, you know, it should have a giant eye like the Cyclops. So we do a throwback to the yeah. the old Sinbad movies, and, and so it's fun. For me, this movie, because I went from a $3 million movie where you kind of like found the set and you, could, you couldn't even paint the walls. Mm-hmm. To, in my head, I was like, I want to do a movie where I design everything again, like 80 yeah. days or This could be a good exercise and keep yourself excited when you have to sort of challenge yourself, right? I, I It's funny thing is it was a challenge to do hot air. And I, was, I always try to do something that keeps me as excited as, it's my, as if it's my first movie. And mm-hmm. that's what I did. I went from... Hot Air, which was so exciting to do a really low budget movie where nobody, I had nobody to tell me what to do. It was 100% buck mm-hmm. stopped. Right, right. Now I'm back in the arena where I'm like, I got to manage a lot of people, a lot of opinions. But the fun part is I have a lot of money to create stuff and dream stuff up. And so, so for me, this is a whole different thing. And, and when do you, when do you, when do you start shooting? Uh, hopefully we'll be shooting like around October. We're just, we're oh. just we we're putting the cast together. Oh, so, so the a lot main, has to come together right now. Is the main cast decided or? Up well, in the this air? is interesting because we're going to have an uh, Arabic cast because it's that's where yeah. it's, the story's from and that's the way it should be. And um, I read so many amazingly talented actors and uh, very happy. A lot of people in that world because they're like, thank God, it's not that I have to play a terrorist. Yeah, again. right, exactly. So it's it's been a really positive uh, reinforcement from from uh, just a Middle East community mm-hmm. and, and, and that we're making this movie and that we're going to cast it authentically. So uh, I have read a bunch of people. Um, we haven't fully cast it yet, but there's mm-hmm. a bunch of roles that, that we're kind of, once the script is totally ready, we're going to, it'll probably come together pretty quick. I though. mean, this way, this, this is something, these are things that I, by the way, I appreciate you like opening up like this because there's so many things that I've always like wondered and like the, and this might be even too personal, but like, do you ever think about the fact that when you cast somebody, you're 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 affecting their life in such a huge way? More than ever on this one, because the lead Sinbad mm-hmm. is most likely going to be somebody whose career is going to yeah. have a. Major... It's not Tony Shalhoub, so it's going to be somebody right, else. Yeah. right, right. Yeah. There's, there's you know, there's a couple of names that mean something that are Arabic actors right now that mean something budget wise right. that they're known right. Uh, so it's not them; it's going to be one of these new guys that you may you probably haven't heard of so there is something interesting about casting because you look at a guy and go wow this guy's a great actor you're like but you start to understand that x factor you're like Mm -hmm. can he carry a movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's kind of exciting and scary to do this casting wise um but you have to just trust your instincts i mean there's a group of people that'll agree or not disagree with me. right okay yeah yeah there's a little bit of a you know a safety net that you know um, but yeah, there's, there's, so that's, so that's not your fault. <laughs> it's not entirely your fault. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm going to push the person through that I believe. And, yeah. You know, the, the thing about being a director is you get all the credit, good or bad. Right. 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 <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think we have somebody, I don't want to say yet because. Yeah, no, no, of course. Yeah. But, uh, it'll be fun to, to, to introduce the world to a new, you know, yeah. 
great actor. And then you're also thinking like, I'm going to cast a lot of bigger actors around him. You're like, wow, the, this kid's really great. Is he going to crumble once he has to act opposite, you know, somebody of some great stature? But is, <laughs> but, but is that kind of your job too? Is like, because there's, there, there's, there's, there's technical directors, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's more like method or artistic directors. And, and, and I mean, I'm a therapist as a director. That's what I was going to say. Uh, yeah. And, and, and what's funny about directing actors is you quickly, I'm a people person you quickly understand what a person needs. Mm -hmm. And for sure, everybody needs you to make them feel confident and to know that you're listening. Because it's hard. The funny thing about when you're directing, there's so much going on mm -hmm. that in the beginning, you're like, you're worried about this and the camera and the, and then, and then your actor's on, on, on in front of the camera. If you're like looking away, they feel super insecure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So pretty early on, you realize once they're on set, it's all about them. Yeah, you, know, well, you can't get approval. Put all the problems in the back of your head. Yeah, yeah, and, and and look, it's a lot of positive reinforcement. Even when they do a take you don't like, it's like that was great. Let's try one way. You like, you know, but I, I mean, it, it, you find what's great about it. You have to be genuine. So what's what's um what's next for you besides like the directing? Is that a weird question? Um, no. Um, like what, what is it? So the directing stuff, obviously that's the, that's the thing you're known for. When I found out about your, your Globus travel stuff, like how fascinating is that? Like what an amazing thing. Like, did you get more of an education from doing that or from going to Tish? Like, and it could be either I way. Think, I think I needed Tish. What I learned at Tish was like irreplaceable. Right. Um, but I think that was a way to hone my filmmaking skills in, in, in a sort of independent real way. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I think Tish um, um, exposed me to great directors, great mm -hmm. movies. What was cool about film school is like you'd see Godard's short films and then you'd see him make, you know, Breathless. And you say, oh, that's the path he took to get right, there. So you right. start to get into the process. He started experimenting with breaking the fourth wall. and blah, blah, blah. He saw American movies. So like that kind of history and learning that is irreplaceable mm -hmm. to have sort of a I mean, look, listen. Quentin Tarantino self-taught, right? Video store guy. Right. But maybe he saw more stuff than I did. So, um, but yeah. It was this just a matter of, of, of watching it in a certain way, right? Like you could watch it um, this, the same way that you watched it and understanding the growth of the director. And if you can see that, then you can see the improvements and kind of learn through yeah. their mistakes, I guess. I also, the other thing I learned, I felt like I loved in film school, I had this affinity. I really liked film noir. My first movie was a noir nobody saw but that way, I don't. I was like, it's just so dark and surreal and weird. And then I, I learned in film school that the reason film noir, when it came, was after the war, World War II, and all these soldiers came back, you know, heroes. But deep down, they had all these horrible ghosts mm -hmm. in the closet that had no way to come out. And so I, when I started realizing, wow, like genres of films, and it became a reflection of what's going on in society, right? And I've continued to like look at different times and movies. And then like there was a period of time when I was like, everybody was comfortable. And what and is that, the 80s? It was <laughs> or the 50s. Well, no, the one that, that happened a few yeah. times, but there was a time when everybody was comfortable, but they started to lose it a little bit. And it's kind of a time when all these movies where what you thought was wasn't. And at the movies I, I equate were like The Matrix, um, Fight Club. Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, I got um, you. Um, they were all about, this is what you thought the uh, world was. Six Sense. Six Sense, uh -huh. yeah. They were all at the same time. Yep. It's funny, I had a movie that was very similar, 
And I was like, fuck, they beat me to it. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's crazy that the, I mean, to, to hit it like that was, it was just so difficult to have that spin mm -hmm. when they tried to redo it. All of them, it didn't work out the same way that it worked out initially because, mm -hmm. because people were expecting it and they were expecting something bigger and crazier to come about. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so more travel or uh, for more, me, more personal travel or you, you just I'm do always travel? traveling a little bit here and there. Um, um, but you know, it's funny, my desire, like I want to go to like, I haven't seen the pyramids and I haven't been to Egypt and, and I haven't been to Are you going to do that on, the, on this trip? No, but I don't have the same desire to get on and go as a tourist. Right. Like I want to go. As a VIP? As, uh, no, I want to be. Well, sure. I I'm mean, always, look. I'm, listen, if somebody calls me up and says, hey, jump on my private jet. We're yeah, going here. Yeah, right. No problem. Right. No, I want to go to work there. I want to shoot there. I would love to. I, I still. Oh, I, it's, it's the complete opposite. You want to. Yeah, you, you don't want to go as a common tourist. Yeah. You want to go as a common person. You want to just sort of be. I want to go there for real. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to be part of something. Yeah. Maybe I'll go into excavating. No, yeah. <laughs> that's next. Um, but yeah, that's what I love about these movies. I get to travel to yeah. all these places and work. And um, uh, that yeah. was on my list. And I, I, we were going to go there. I had this trip that was planned for my, my the last season of 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 my my show Four Sheets, and we went to we were supposed to go to um, Egypt, Jordan, and uh, Istanbul. Cool. And and then we talked to a buddy of ours who was a Navy SEAL. And we're like, he's like, where are you going? We told him. He's like, no, no, not now, not now. And that was like, that was last time. He's like, don't go. Um, and then of course in Istanbul there was like a bomb or whatever, and it's just like at the same time, not the same day we would have been there, but just kind of weird. And so we ended up just doing a safer one. We went to Mexico City and. Mm -hmm. uh Machu Picchu and Grand Cayman but it's just That's interesting great, by the way. that was yeah they're, they're, they're both they're both fine mm -hmm. but like it's one of those things about seeing the pyramids you kind of want to see them before it's not like they disappear but I mean I don't know yeah 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 it's like Cuba go to Cuba before it changes yeah it's right like it's been the same every I've yeah. been hearing that for 30 years yeah yeah <laughs> um but but I do still like I was in Europe for for scouting and I was in Bulgaria and I had a friend that I, I have. I actually go to Burning Man. I have a camp. So did you I, just go? You just got I back? missed this one because okay. I'm too busy with the movie. Uh -huh. It's hard. It hurts my heart. <laughs> um, but um, in my camp was a bunch of Turkish people last year. Okay. And so I was like, shoot, they live in Istanbul, and I haven't been. So I justified that it was a little bit for the movie, but I visited Istanbul. Yeah. Mainly, I wanted to see the architecture that dated so far back, but I also wanted to see Istanbul because what a great city. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like such a unique. Uh, interesting city. So. I love, I love getting in my like, uh, and I haven't, and I haven't been there, which is mm. crazy. So those places I it's haven't great. been. It's great. It's great. We were going to go to Petra, and like you know, I didn't see that. It's one of those things that you mm. just have to have to see. But it's funny when I get into uh, like a, an Uber. And the driver has an accent, which is often out mm -hmm. here. And I love to say, like, where are you from? Because a lot of times I've I've been there. Mm -hmm. And one was um, from the Ukraine. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, you know, I, I haven't been to Ukraine, but a friend of mine, um, actually a, a friend that I just met on a podcast, uh, Chris Lowell, he, um, uh, he just had a, you know, okay relationship with his dad, but his dad didn't really travel, but he's like, hey, you want to go on a trip? And he's like, sure, let's go. Like, I, I love it. I get to go travel with my dad. And he's like, where are we going? And his dad said, Chernobyl. <laughs> what do you, what do you hate me? So his dad had just watched this show. Have you watched uh, of it? Of course. Yeah, I, I heard. It's, it's, I heard it's amazing. Yeah, I it's heard amazing. How, how horrible. It's amazing and horrible. Yeah. And so there was actually a guy here at the house who's an electrician. And I said, where, where are you from? Russia? And he's like, oh, Ukraine. I'm like, oh, wow. And I said, it's crazy. I have a friend who's in Chernobyl right now. 
It's crazy. And to me, I was just thinking, I don't know. doesn't seem like a stupid thing to say, but he's like, oh, yeah, I lived near to Chernobyl. I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, like 40 kilometers away. Wow. He's like, yeah, I lost a lot of friends. I'm like, okay, so <laughs> damn it. Shut your mouth, man. You don't have to relate to everybody. Jesus. I did the same thing in the cab. I'm like, where are you from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. It, it, you know what? I want to show off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. Blew up in your that face. That one just blew up in my face. A nuclear bomb. Anyway. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, you to got sit it, man. and talk to me. This, this has been like, this has been great. I, I hope we meet each other in our travels too around the world. I wish, I wish. If that I'm I, shooting anywhere and you're there, come visit me. Done deal. Done deal. I'll, right. I'll jump on my private jet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Frank. All right, cool. Thank you. That was Frank Karachi. If you want to follow him on social media, it's Franco Spanko737 on Instagram and Twitter. And go check out his movie, Hot Air. Uh, I just love his his directing style. It's fun. Seems like he's worked with a lot of fun people with like movies. And he is. Yeah. He is. Again, he just kind of, he's one of those guys that just knows how how lucky he is. Mm-hmm. And because we've we've run into people... Mm-hmm. That are that are celebrities, mm-hmm. and of course there is a totem pole. You you have a specific place. I know where my place is on that. But like, there's some. It's like sometimes that it's not the people at the very top. Like I've met like Bruce Willis and George Clooney and a lot of these guys, and they're just like nice guys, mm-hmm. you know. And then I've met the people that are just sort of like on the verge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like they want to seem like they're bigger and so they're the ones that are assholes mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah so it's it's almost like it's almost one of those things like if those who do don't talk about it mm-hmm. and the ones that talk about it are the ones that are just insecure and not doing it so again that hopefully that's all translating to me expressing how cool i thought frank was <laughs> <laughs> and not the other way around so um uh real quick i wanted to talk to you guys about your um okay here's what happened what did you do well no because okay so so i I was out of town for a few days. I'm back in town and then I'm leaving and I'm not going to be back until the 21st. And so the question is, uh, well, not the question. So I, I decided we're not going to get a tree this year. That's true. Whoa. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. And so I know, but, but now it's like, it's just, you know, there's like 10 days left and, should we? That's not just your decision. Did I you pull the family? No. No. Did not ask me. And no. Did not ask so, cut it. Hang up this podcast. Well, let, 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 let me, let me, you know, Scrooge ahead to the end of this uh, discussion. We're going to finish this podcast and then Mel and I are going to go get a treat because I, you know. I decided I that we can't have a foster that didn't have an opportunity to climb a, a Christmas tree. A cat. We're talking yeah. about a kitten that yeah. didn't get a chance to have a tree. Um, okay. So, um, Obviously, that is a Christmas Christmas tradition. I can't think of a time where I did not have a tree, no matter what I was doing, because I don't want to start now. Oh, so I'm, I'm not sure gonna I didn't it. have one Just like a college like Christmas. stuff. Had, we get our tree the day after Thanksgiving. That's perfect. That's does when it always sh- live? Does what? it make it? Does it always survive till then? Always, always. We got a guy. We go up to Frank's Christmas tree place. I mean, what? This is our third year in a row because we've been here three years. Yeah, and uh, we put it on top of the suburban. The guy ties it on there for me. We get a like a smaller tree, like eight feet. Wow! And then we get uh, <laughs> a little tree. tree for the den. Wait, what? You get th- wait, you get three How trees? Many trees do you buy? No, we get two trees. We get one for the family room. And then uh, one what's for the the den? What's the big one? Eight eight the feet. Big, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and and, and, the, and the smaller one. 
and you're and so your wife is jewish which make which technically does that make your kids jewish yeah i guess and so so do you also we celebrate both. you yeah, do both we do hanukkah we got candles and you know we do a couple christmas presents and you know santa comes a lot of presents. for a minute and a lot of presents but it's nice like this year the kids they put the lights on the tree for the first time like usually you know, my wife and i are like toiling making sure the lights are perfect this year we're like hey you guys give it a shot oh yeah that's the best way to do it and, and they did a, an amazing job so it was uh, it was really kind of a nice little new twist on putting the tree up and it was awesome do you um any other christmas traditions do you, do you have any tra- traditions that you want to think are like common but you're the only person like you at some point you found out you're the only person that that, that does it like we put a train around the tree i grew up doing it always every year you just have to do it is that like is normal. It, that's normal. That's pretty normal. Yeah. People people have those. I mean, the train store. I'll go to the train store like you know, once a year, which is like the week before Christmas, to like buy a little something at whatever, and it's like so packed. And then you know the rest of the, the rest of the year, it's like the train store is empty. Why is there a train so, store? So, you you were just gonna forego all of that this year <laughs> and not put the tree up right. and not I'll go listen, to the train listen, store and listen, the- I accept that my decision was poor, and I'm I'm at least I have time to to fix it um did you have any yeah, it's like a, it's like traditions a movie around no? here we used to make a lot of cookies like what kind of cookies like 25 different kinds really yeah and then give them away. i think you should start doing that again ours were uh well you know what my mom makes pecan balls yeah um and <laughs> the stupid story so steve steve and i were in college together i came home from college and it wasn't far i had a car it was like an hour away so i drove home got home hello no no one was in the house so i walk in and and there's a tin on the counter mm-hmm. and i open it up and there's pecan balls in there mm-hmm. and i was like sweet mm-hmm. like i don't know if so i'm like i don't know if someone gave them to my mom or if my mom is ready to give them to someone else clearly it's like it's in yeah. gift form right mm-hmm. so i take one out and i eat it and then i take one more out and i mm-hmm. ate it and then i kind of just moved them around a little <laughs> bit so you couldn't tell you know that's like that's yeah like that's fine that's legal that's Chris, that's christmas behavior cover your trail so my mom comes home and whatever we're talking and i'm like yeah i said confession i i don't know if those were for someone or for you but i ate two of those pecan balls or two of the pecan balls you made she goes we didn't make them this year we didn't make them yet I'm like no i i had pecan balls we don't have any pecan balls well there's a tin maybe someone gave them to you there's a tin on the on the on the on the kitchen table so, oh, oh, we had a flood last year and and the, and I went and found that this tin that we had down there and I opened it up and there were cookies in it. They must be from two years ago. Oh so it was a tin God. that was being stored in the basement. These pecan ball cookies, they were two years old. What does that say about pecan balls? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. What ingredients go into this? I think it's just butter and pecans and sugar. What's it gonna, what's it gonna do? It was sealed? Mold? No, it was no mold. I mean, not that I saw. That they were a little, a they lot. were a little crumbly, but I thought they were good. <laughs> so, uh, mistletoe. Has anyone ever done mistletoe? Never. I have mistletoe up. I you... came home last week and there was a piece hanging over the doorway. Oh, it's kind of nice. Yeah? yeah. Was your wife waiting there? She was waiting with cake. With cake, <laughs> with cake or her person? Because <laughs> like apparently, it. if I, if I would have come home and I, I, I could have done this, I could have stopped by and bought cake. 
Next yeah. time I need to do that. That would have been overwhelming. Next time I need to do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, happy holidays to everybody. Our, our next show will be coming out, um, I think it's on Christmas or the day after Christmas. I think we're going to come out just with the next podcast on Christmas with Burt like Kreischer. It's a gift to everyone. It's a little gift. It's a little Burt Kreischer gift to everybody. So uh, happy holidays, everybody. Be safe. Uh, if you uh, want to join us in uh, our adventure with adventure, go to investwithzane.com and uh, and join the party. Invest in an adventure or do it for your friend and, and be part of what uh, exciting things lay ahead in adventure. Happy holidays. Or do it, or do it with you.